This is an ABC podcast. Good morning and welcome to AM. I'm Kim Landers, coming to you from Gadigal Land in Sydney. As the daunting flood recovery continues in the Kimberley in Western Australia, many families are wondering when they'll be able to return to their hometowns. Some evacuees from communities across the vast region have been flown hundreds of kilometres to places like Broome and Derby on the coast. Erin Park filed this report from Derby. I'm standing outside in a car park at one of the largest motels in the town of Derby and even though it's a pretty warm evening, the place kind of feels like it's buzzing. There's lots of kids outside playing kick-to-kick, playing chasey. Um, They're all hundreds of kilometres from home and they've been staying here at this motel for around a week after being evacuated from their homes in the central Kimberley. There's about 280 people that are currently staying temporarily in Derby after being flown in from Fitzroy Crossing and surrounding remote Aboriginal communities. Um, There's also a public pool just down the road, which has been proving really popular. And among those just back from a swim is 19-year-old Elsie Nulgett, and she was flown in from the community of Nullagunda on the Gibb River Road almost a week ago. Well, we was blocked out there like for two weeks. We couldn't even make it to Dodnon or Mount Barnet, you know, because the rivers was up, you know, and we couldn't get through, um, you know, and my son was like, you know, we were running out of food and not much supplies, you know, for us. So, you know, and I was getting a bit worried. And How were you feeling out there as the waters got higher? Oh, feeling scared because um, my son is like, you know, he's a... One year old, and he was premature baby, you know. And I was scared because he has asthmatic, like he's asthmatic. And how did you get out? Was it a helicopter? Yeah. What was that like? First time, it was scary. <laughs> the recovery effort is now in full swing across the region. In the region's biggest town, Broome, people like Emily Hunter are doing what they can. So I reckon we've got about 20 women here today um, from all across the community just helping and sorting through clothes and I guess putting it into boxes for Fitzroy and the surrounding flood areas. So it's been a great, like this. we've got four pallets full and it's quite overwhelming with the kindness of the community. 14-year-old Magella Ross is the youngest volunteer. She lives in Broome but is from the town of Fitzroy Crossing and many in her family have had to flee their homes. Lots of my aunties don't want to leave. They're like 79 years old and they don't want to leave. They don't want to leave Dalgunya? No. They've left though, they've gone into town, but they don't want to evacuate to here. Why don't don't they want to leave, do you think? Because they want to help clean up and help uh, rebuild. It's very intense. It's very intense. Um, My sister's house was fully submerged under the water not fully but almost um and funny story there's this one chicken that lives in that house with her and her two dogs she took her two dogs but she left the chicken inside the house we were not expecting it to survive because it was underwater chicken survived the chicken survived mariah is still going mariah the chicken yep she's still going so it's a bit like, um, you know, we can survive this. If the chickens can survive it, it'll be okay. Kimberley teenager Magella Ross ending Erin Park's report. 
Indigenous public housing tenants in Darwin are accusing the NT government of treating them unfairly by telling them that relatives from flooded areas of central Australia can't stay with them. Some people who are waiting until it's safe to return to bush communities can't afford other accommodation in town. But the NT government and charities running public housing say the impact on neighbours has to be considered, as Jane Barden reports. Before Christmas, Darwin public housing tenant Lawrence Finlay welcomed family from remote central Australia to stay. Some are still stuck in the city because of flood-damaged bush roads. There's a lot of road blocked or cut off and it's pretty hard for them to go back home. But he was told by Anglicare, which manages the house, he can't have them staying. It put a notice banning visitors after 6pm on the gate. They didn't give me any reason for them to leave. I asked them, I can't can't afford to send them anywhere. In the street, it's it's raining and it's getting mosquitoes. How many people have you got staying at the house at the moment? All together, about seven of us. His partner, Loretta Peters, believes neighbours complained about noise, but says they've only had one drunk visitor who they kicked out. This is the front veranda. This is where we sit and this is where we talk. We laugh and all of a sudden then people complain about us. I don't know if they don't like black people or what. The family want rules on visitors to be more flexible during the wet season. They are treating us unfairly about housing. The NT Housing Department told the ABC there can be flexibility for visitors to stay at public houses, which tenants can ask permission for. Anglicare said requests are assessed on a case-by-case basis, and it's committed to working with residents to ensure their needs are met, but they're also being good neighbours. Joy Priest is Lawrence Finlay's sister. They think that the noise is coming because there are a lot of people drunk and all, but this is not the case here. And being an Indigenous family, it's always going to be loud and noisy. So you've got little children running around, it's unforeventable. Joy Priest is stuck in Darwin, unable to get back to her remote central Australian community of Corella Creek. She's staying with family in another public house. We don't have anywhere else to go unless something is provided for people from the bush. The number of remote Indigenous peoples stuck in top-end towns and cities always swells during the wet season. It's usually accompanied by rises in antisocial behaviour and petty crime. Joy Priest says many stranded people run out of money. No one really addressed it properly, but, you know, the community people, that what we have to face. The Territory Government have established some visitor accommodation in Darwin and Alice Springs. Do you feel that that's enough for what's needed? No, I don't think it really addresses the problem in a situation where homelands are really affected by what's happening with the weather and, you know, you've got food security, you've got other difficulty housing problems. The NT government says its Darwin remote visitor accommodation costs just $40 a night for a couple with meals and $33 in Alice Springs. Loretta Peters says she's determined to keep her visitors. They're going to have to stay here until that road is open. They will be staying here with me. Public housing tenant Loretta Peters speaking with Jane Barden. 
Business groups are largely welcoming the federal government's proposed changes to the caps on greenhouse gas emissions for the country's largest polluters. The changes to what's known as the safeguard mechanism will require them to reduce emissions by 5% each year up to 2030. Businesses say why there are still a few details to work through, the changes provide certainty, although some environment groups think they don't go far enough. Stephanie Boris prepared this report. Building a better future. It's a responsibility we all share. Many of Australia's biggest polluters have already committed to reducing emissions. We have a responsibility to take action against climate change. Ready to go green? Visit Qantas.com. Mines run by BHP, Rio Tinto, as well as major transport companies like Qantas, Virgin and Toll, their promises will be further held to account under changes to the safeguard mechanism, a set of rules applied to the country's highest emitting facilities. Innes Willox is the chief executive of the Australian Industry Group, which represents companies in sectors including steel, concrete and aluminium. What these proposals do is give industry the framework to work with now and perhaps much greater sense of certainty around direction of policy. He says the details need to be examined, but at first glance, the proposed reforms appear manageable and will keep Australian businesses competitive. And that was a key point here. We didn't want to have a system in place that would lead to closure, to offshoring very quickly. We think industry can work with this. Remaining competitive is front of mind for Minerals Council CEO Tanya Constable. We remain concerned on the potential overall cost of compliance and whether the proposed changes will sufficiently ensure industry competitiveness is maintained. Under the proposed changes, each facility will need to reduce its emissions by nearly 5% a year. It's going to be a, a difficult task to reduce emissions by the levels that have set by 2030. Um, but our industry is, um, is taking a very constructive approach to the proposed changes. If a facility can't reduce its emissions, it can buy offsets, allowing big polluters to instead pay for trees to be planted or to stop land being cleared. The government has put a cap on the cost of those offsets, which the Minerals Council has welcomed. But the Australian Conservation Foundation's Gavin McFadgen is disappointed the government didn't put limits on how many companies can buy. Offsets should be used very selectively uh, and as a last resort. And that's because you can't offset your way to net zero emissions. All offsets do is neutralise the emissions that you're creating. He says the proposed reforms are a significant improvement on the current scheme, but they still don't go far enough. We argue that offsets should be about no more than 5% of the scheme. They should be a last resort and tightly restricted in the scheme. The government has now opened up the next round of consultations, but the timeline is tight, with changes coming into effect from July. Political reporter Stephanie Boris. So how might these changes to the pollution caps for big industrial emitters like coal mines, gas plants, smelters and plastic manufacturers work? Some experts warn the success could be contingent on improving the contentious carbon credit scheme. Paul Burke is a Professor of Environmental Economics at the Australian National National University, and he spoke to reporter Annie Guest. Well, it is good to see this progress. The safeguard mechanism has been in place for some years now, but the proposal here is to be really bringing down those baselines, so the level of emissions that firms should be limited to 
and a 4.9% reduction per annum over coming years. That's ambitious and it is a good step in the right direction. This works by giving large polluters a baseline level of emissions and then cutting that baseline year after year. Polluters who pollute more than their baseline, well, they are able to buy credits, either Australian carbon credit units or safeguard mechanism credits to bring them back to their baseline. And Professor Berg, what's the likelihood that uh, these big polluters will choose to reduce their emissions through new technologies and changing practices rather than buying the carbon credits? Some companies have very low cost opportunities to reduce emissions. We should expect those companies to take those opportunities because if they do so, they will be able to come in below their baseline under the safeguard mechanism and generate credits. And they can use those credits to make money to generate revenue. For some companies, you know, what's the risk that it may be cheaper to buy the the credits than to change practices? So we should expect some companies to be really incentivized to reduce emissions a lot. Some other companies, it's more costly or difficult to reduce emissions. They may well choose not to do so and to rely on buying credits from the market. And in that case, how important is it going to be that Australia's carbon credits are beyond reproach, that they are high integrity as as the term goes, given that this has been a controversial issue? Australia has headed down a road of relying a lot on carbon credits. And it is a risky road because it can be difficult to know the true integrity level of those carbon credits. The Chubb Review released this week recommended some adjustments to tighten up our carbon credit scheme, but still there are questions over the overall level of integrity of the scheme. It is going to be an ongoing challenge for Australia, and it's likely that over coming years we're going to be needing to tighten up our carbon credit rules even further. Professor Paul Burke from ANU speaking to Annie Guest. Britain says it's likely Russia has captured most of the Ukrainian town of Solodar in what would be a substantial gain for Moscow after a string of humiliating retreats. But Ukraine insists it's still fighting to hold on to the town, though President Volodymyr Zelensky acknowledges the situation there is difficult. Bonnie Simons-Brown has more. Fierce fighting has rocked the salt mining town of Solodar as Ukrainian and Russian troops battle for control. Britain's Defence Ministry says Russia has probably captured most of the town after four days of advances. But Ukraine has refuted those claims, the country's Deputy Defence Minister saying that heavy fighting to hold on to Solidar continues. Our fighters are bravely holding the defence, Minister Hanna Malia said in a statement, adding the area was strewn with the bodies of Russian soldiers. Meanwhile, Germany's Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock has made a surprise visit to the eastern Ukrainian city of Kharkiv, near the Russian border. She's promised more weapons for Ukraine and concrete offers to help the country's accession to the European Union. We have steadily expanded our military support together with our partners regarding howitzers, regarding air defence, regarding IRST with Jepard, and now as the latest decision, further deliveries of martyr tanks to enable Ukraine to free people. 
and we will steadily evaluate and continue this process with our partners. In a joint news conference, Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Kaleba repeated Kyiv's desire for tanks from Berlin. I have no doubt that Ukraine will receive German Leopard tanks. Moreover, I think that the German government also understands, somewhere deep in its soul, that this decision will be approved and the tanks will be given to Ukraine. Ukraine recently secured access to the American Patriot missile defence system. Pentagon spokesman Brigadier General Pat Ryder announcing about 100 Ukrainian troops will soon head to Oklahoma's Fort Sill to begin training. Uh, in terms of what that training will look like, uh, it will consist of training in the classrooms. It will consist of training on the Patriot systems and then, of course, uh, in a simulation lab as well before they actually deploy the capability on the battlefield. The U.S. says Ukrainian troops could begin their training as early as next week. Bonnie Simons-Brown reporting. Most parents constantly worry about what their kids are seeing and doing when they're online. And that includes worrying about how the online games they're playing could be setting them up for gambling addictions by introducing them to many of the sights, sounds and sensations that are replicated on online betting apps. Nick Grimm reports. That's what I land. I kind of want to go brutal. I'm going to land brutal bastion. Nine-year-old computer gamer Ethan is already an old hand when it comes to spotting the traps that lurk online. Zone stays there. I can probably just camp there, look around for loot, and dominate. I still remember just playing a bunch of little kids' games, and then randomly, like, in some sort of like wolf casino, win a million dollars jackpot, or the lotto would come on, and I just wonder, hmm, maybe I could win a lot of money. But even on the games he does play, much of the fun relies on, well, a digital roll of the dice. There's loot boxes. And in a lot of other games, there's also loot boxes, which is pretty much just a redesigned version of a casino. It's just, you know, kids and teenagers have to be really aware of what's happening and their subliminal messages that are coming through. Jane is a Sydney mother who's seen the damage caused by gambling among members of her broader family. She worries about the same thing happening to her kids. Well, that's probably my biggest fear is, as a mum who has seen the effects and repercussions from gambling addiction. These games and the gambling, you know, it's, it's kind of like it is starting to blend in the subliminal messages and the advertising. And that's something currently under investigation by a federal parliamentary inquiry into online gambling. Government MP Peter Murphy is chair of the Social Policy and Legal Affairs Committee. Look, the inquiry is also looking at online gaming um, and the way in which in-game games, loot boxes, and, and other things are introducing gambling to gamers who are often young people and young men. Sydney-based child and adolescent psychiatrist Dr Philip Tam often hears firsthand about his patients' online experiences. And so-called loot boxes can give gamers the same feel-good dopamine hit experienced by gamblers when they're winning. And there is clear evidence now, I believe, both in this country and overseas, that loot boxes should be regarded as a form of gambling. In other words, there's an unpredictable reward that leads to a kind of satisfaction. Yes, let's go. For nine-year-old Ethan, winning game rewards like gold bars and other treasures aren't an essential part of the game. My loot is too good for me to die right now. But they are hard to resist.
Gold bars is a key mechanic of the game, pretty much. You can win not using gold bars, but it's a lot harder than using with using gold bars. There's a lot of things you can do with gold bars, pretty much. That's nine-year-old gamer Ethan ending that report from Nick Grimm. And that is AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Kim Landers. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.